This episode is brought to you by TechSmith. That's right, TechSmith. You know them from Snagit and Camtasia. Snagit lets you create images, GIFs, and videos to show others exactly what you see. And Camtasia is the famous screen recording and video editing software made easy. Yeah, I love it, Adam. You know, I have to say my story here is that Camtasia kind of saved my soul. When I was working, trying to build my first program, I discovered Camtasia and other TechSmith products, and I needed something that was relatively inexpensive, easy to use, and powerful. Overnight, I went from doing tedious editing, recording, and just whatever I had available to me alone with little coaching, being able to make really super high quality videos in a short amount of time. That sounds amazing. And so if you want to create and share images and videos for better training, tutorials, lessons, and everyday communication, you can do that at techsmith.com. That's techsmith.com. Welcome to CE Lab. I'm AA Lab, and this is DD Lab. We are here today to cover the TSIA State of Education Services Report. Isn't that right, DD? We're not even going to do the International Day of. We're just going to jump in that fast. We got to do the International. Oh no, Day let's of. do it. Let's do the what? What International Day is it? Well, darn it, it is National Thrift Store Day. Oh gonna, my gosh! Well, I'm going to pop some tags. Going to Macklemore this up. Hey, will you be the Ryan Lewis to my Macklemore? Indeed, I will. Let's do this. All right. Is that who we would be in this? I don't scenario? know, man. No, we're just having. We, which one just... of us is? Which one of us is the Macklemore, and which one of us is the Ryan Lewis? Audience. Which one of us is the Steph Curry and which one of us is the rest of the Warriors? <laughs> hey, that's mean. You need three shots. Okay, let's do it. Let's talk. But that's a great segue into this episode because what we're wanting to do is we're we're following on on the the state of reports that we do every year. Now there's this is three of four that have come out so far in 2022. Yeah. Um, in fact, when we started recording this mini series, three came out. There's actually a fourth one, so we'll we'll cover it soon. But yes, now now we're talking about number three, which is uh, the TSIA, which is the Technology and Services Industry Association. Every yeah, year they publish this State of Education Services report. We have to say they're really consistent about this. I, I have a, a, in my folder, in my archives, the last five or six of them running. So let's break into this. This, this is designed to be a mini. What we want to do is pick up some of the key themes and talking points out of that and again, invite you to talk about it with us online or in forums or what have you. So Adam, where shall we start today? What's the first takeaway that you had? Or shall we frame it up in what the spirit of this year's report is all about? Yeah. So in each of the episodes so far, we've been talking a little bit about the methodologies and the the sample bases that these reports use to form their findings. And so I think it's important for us when we think about TSIA to think about who are the members of TSIA by and large. This is a different representative sampling than we saw in some of the other reports that we've covered, like Skilljar or Thought Industries. Because here in TSIA, you're actually going to see a much larger member base of companies who offer true technology services, and thus within education, true like education services running as a PL. They're generating profit in a lot of cases. And in many cases, they're doing this for these on-prem software companies. Can we talk about on-prem versus SaaS for a moment? Because I, I think those are think really everyone is around for this. This is really super important. I know. Well, I was around for it. I'm going to take you back. Let's go in the Wayback Machine Let's 20 years ago. One of the things that, that has led me into this field, Adam, is that 
I realized that I was doing training and education back that early on in my career. I mean, we all kind of get drawn to our calling and this is this was mine. I was in a laboratory. I was helping integrate a lot of systems, but all of those systems were on-prem, meaning, okay, you get a million dollar contract, you go and install software on servers or desktops. Like literally on-premise, like in someone's <laughs> servers on the premises. Right. You're literally, this was, it was fun, bizarre, crazy back in the day. You know, I'm talking about late nineties where I was working in. Yeah. In like how many, how many floppy disks? <laughs> yeah, that's actually true because it's a lot of times you'd get this big collection of CDs or disks or whatever, and you'd have to go into the server room and you have to put them on the server and install this stuff. I mean, it was an ordeal. Software is so fundamentally different today that if you're just, if you're more new to it and you haven't been in that environment where, you know, hell, you couldn't even download some things in some cases. You had to go to a special server room that was secured and there was all these rules. So the difference is you have in your company, on your property, all of the software that's running locally. You can't yeah. get to it from it. You couldn't work remote. It was impossible. And now the tables have churned. And I think that starts us off on this journey for today where you go, okay, again, Software is eating the world. It's all in the cloud. And it's this report, if anything, really validates that that reality is sunk in. Absolutely. And, and so it's it's worth taking a moment just to even process that, right? Because if you're running education services at a company delivering on-prem software, then you're probably just rolling your eyes at everything you just said because you're like, of course, yep. Yep. this is what's happening. And of course, now all the new companies that are born in the cloud and are SaaS companies are working under a fundamentally different model and have different constraints and uh, different limitations. But for those of us who have been primarily working at SaaS companies, and especially for those who are listening who who never worked at a, a company with an on-prem offering, like this is actually what SaaS is in response to. This is why it is software as a service, yeah. because you no longer own the physical software. You are essentially renting it from a company. And so the report really goes hard mm -hmm. on this idea that with SaaS, because you're essentially renting the software from the company. And then as the software provider, you're essentially getting the customer continually renew the rental of that software. Then you're operating in this like high growth, but lower profit environment, right? Because you just have to keep selling and keep mm. renewing your customers in a way where you wouldn't when you've got that like million dollar installation. And then hopefully what, like five years later, you go out for some more rounds of golf and drinks and then like buy another million dollars of the software, right? I miss those days. <laughs> In some ways I really do because it was fun. But it puts more onus on the buyer of the software, right? Like a lot more. if they don't get value from the software and they don't get ROI, well, yeah, that's kind of their fault at the end of the day, but they can't cancel the service. So no, like, you can't. those of us You're who done. are in SaaS are working much harder to earn every renewal than it used to be. Yeah, but we're working much harder to do anything. We're you have this concept of like everboarding or you know continuous you're you're, you're renewing. Everboard is that like waterboarding? Yeah, kind of like that. I heard that. Who did they get that from? I'm I'm sorry, I'm losing my attribution at the moment because this is uh, like just fluid off the cuff. But let's think about that. Old school, you pay a lot of money, you do training one time, maybe people get it. That's how I got into this field, Adam, is because. That didn't work for us even then. And nobody knew how to use the product. So you had to designate some people to be subject matter experts and teach them. You had new people coming in to learn it. And it was way harder on the company. Now we've shifted all that outside. So 
you can't sometimes keep up. Like we know this really personally, this feeling of I can't keep up with the changes that are happening. It's a good thing because what our dream was back in the day is like I have a bug. Oh shoot, I can't do anything. I've got a bug now. Now I have to have this workaround or I have to have a patch and it's going to take weeks. And that when the software wasn't working then and didn't, couldn't use it correctly, it was a big problem. Now we can deploy a patch in seconds. So that mm -hmm. feeling of that immediacy of change has led us to a fundamental crisis in education where before it could be, you had to have education, Adam, and we had to pay a lot of money for it. And then we go away. Now we're constantly educated. Yeah, this is really the premise of the TSIA report. And what the report doesn't talk about, I think because it was written too early for this, is that mm -hmm. we're also now in a situation where the financial outlook for a lot of companies has become a lot more tenuous and companies are asking to cut costs. Mm -hmm. uh, we've recently seen waves of layoffs happening across tech companies. And so everyone is now in the position of needing to do more with less. But at the VC level, in, when you think about what sort of advice people are giving companies or, or even like in the public markets, you're seeing companies move away from this idea of growth as the primary motivator towards more sustainability, towards better margin, towards better profitability. So in a way, actually, you're seeing SaaS companies that are used to hyper growth, infinite growth, being asked to act a little bit more like on-prem companies used to be. Or, or in many cases still are, right? Because, because the mm -hmm. model is different. Mm -hmm. So like this is kind of, that. I think that was the frame up, right? We're, we're seeing a report that is running, it's kind of poking some holes in the conventional wisdom about SaaS businesses having higher multiples and being more efficient and more profitable and all of this. this. This report is saying, hey, you know what? Let's actually take a look at our member base. Let's actually say maybe some of these, these facts aren't true. And in fact, what we've got is more of a challenge for education services teams to be able to deliver value for their customers. And deliver so deliver value. Yeah. Deliver value. Deliver value. Exactly. And they point to two different areas where we're really being asked to increase the quality of our delivery. Uh, one is the customer experience. And that kind of breaks down huh. into the learning experience and the overall digital experience that we're offering our customers, including service, right? And because within customer experience, we're supporting products that are always on, and because we're ever boarding customers, that means that we have to continue delivering a seamless experience for our customers. Mm -hmm. And we have to be measuring metrics. That was a little redundant. You have to be uh, measuring metrics. Measuring, yeah, you have to point. be measuring metrics, <laughs> yeah, or, or using as KPIs the signals that your your customers are continuing to get value from your product over time with <laughs> as little friction as possible. So, do you want to talk about that a little bit? Like some of your takeaways yeah, from? Yeah, I, uh, I want to pull out one bit of data that, that actually I think it's really important to say from this this report. Let's go to Kirkpatrick. Literally, ninety six percent of respondents to the survey that powered this report said they're in reacting mode, meaning they're not really capturing the, the data and the information to show how we're moving the needle, how education is moving the needle. So you've got, okay, like we're used, education before was easy when we had, a, had people in a seat in a room taking a test, you'd see them, you could do all this stuff, it's natural. Now we're kind of lamenting the fact that we're putting a lot of content out and that helps, but those that are making that content aren't measuring the uptake, what did this do? 
that's one of the things that I thought was was real. And there was another stat in here that only about 11% of the companies focused on behavioral changes. Imagine having all, yes, all of your learning challenges solved. With Dechevo's Learning Suite, an AI-powered LMS built for enterprise, you can tackle any challenge. You can easily create and manage content, deliver training, and measure the business impact of your programs. Dechevo is built for customers, partners, and employees alike, with dozens of integrations to embed directly in the flow of work. Check out Dechevo today at docebo.com. Yeah. So, so like, let's, let's tie this together for a moment, right? Yep. Because this is, this is measuring down the Kirkpatrick levels. And for those of you who didn't listen to our Kirkpatrick episode or aren't Shame. familiar with the model, Shame. Uh, four <laughs> levels no. that you can use to measure the results of your training uh, offerings. Level one is the reaction to the training. Level two says, okay, so what if they liked it? Did they learn anything? Level three says, so what if they learned anything? Did they change their behavior? And level four says, so what if they changed their behavior? Did changing the behavior actually have any results? Mm-hmm. So Again, you see this breakdown where the majority of people are measuring reaction, but they're kind of stopping there. You've got only about half who are doing some sort of assessment of whether the customer learned anything. And then, like you said, 11% are actually measuring any sort of behavior change and uh, level four results is even lower than that. So that's actually, we see this distribution fairly often, although I think it's starting to change, especially the more that companies and learning programs have the ability to measure the downstream effects of their learning. And part of how they do that is through better integrations. Because if you can Uh, see, for instance, for your trained versus untrained customers, whether they actually got to first value quicker or whether they were more likely to renew or expand or upsell, you can actually then see correlation, not causation, but you can see whether training was correlated with those downstream effects. And it seems like a lot of people just aren't, aren't measuring that still. Yeah, and I find that really surprising. I can take a moment right here to actually use this as an opportunity to connect to John Lay's from Talented Learning's report that just came out recently, where one of the the things that he had said in that very boldly was that integrations are one of the main trends, like the number of integrations that a platform can do successfully to get us to those learning outcomes, to get us to be be able to tie data points to trends and see what people are doing and if it's moving the needle. That's one of the big drivers right now in the market that is turning people from one platform to another. They're thinking about this stuff. They want to solve these problems in a big way. Yeah. This report comments on that too, right? Because they actually asked Mm -hmm. their member base here whether they were integrating with other systems or not. And what you can see is, again, actually like fairly low integrations overall for a lot of these programs. You're you're not necessarily integrating your LMS with other systems of records. You had, the most common one was uh, their CRM, the customer relationship management mm-hmm. system. That's going to be something like HubSpot or Salesforce. And that was what most of the respondents were integrating with if they were integrating with anything, but that was only 43%. And then that got lower with uh, the financial system, presumably because you're you're tracking revenue from your training program or with the support system, presumably because you're tracking the effect of training on support tickets and support cases. And again, knowing that this is a TSIA report and we're focusing a lot on education services, businesses who are generating revenue and who are also interacting as part of a broader spectrum of professional services and support organizations. Like 
I think there's good reason that they're looking for these types of integrations. But overall, I think the thing that was really eye-opening for me in this report was seeing that the overall uptake of any sort of integration between the LMS and anything else was low. 18% were integrated with any other systems. And so then when you're going and looking at you know how few people are measuring the effect on behavior or results, well, there's a pretty strong tie to the fact that people aren't integrating their systems to be able to measure the results of their learning. Therefore, they aren't measuring the results of their learning beyond those surveys or, or maybe like an assessment. Yeah. 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 And it's a thread that's been pulling through from previous reports that TSIA has said as well. You know, that this this capability from data is a capability that continues to lag for most training works. Yeah, I agree. So what else good. do we want to pull out of this report, Dave? One of the things that I thought was really cool that I pulled out was this statement of meeting customers where they are. Really liked okay. that. There was a part in, it, in this about communications and the statement made was about how there needs to be more multi-channel communications, not just a reliance on traditional email, for example, because well, you know, I'll tell you a story about that when I was at Outreach. Everybody was ultra anxious about email to the point where you know, I asked a question one day, may I do this survey to our customer base? In asking that question, the sensitivity was, oh my gosh, we don't want to spam or saturate our market with tons and tons of emails all the time. We can't keep doing that. So mm -hmm. what came out of that is, how else can we approach them? LinkedIn, social media, all these different channels that traditionally we didn't have 10, 20 years ago, right? And that on-prem world wasn't used to working with. Now the, the market has shifted. So that's something that I pulled out that I thought was how are we getting out into new methodologies, new omni-channel approaches that can reach our markets? Yeah. And they're talking about it in a really interesting context as well, because this is sort of a response, I think, to what they're saying about companies starting to invest more in their customer experience, but more specifically their digital experience. Mm -hmm. And so to create an effective digital experience, one of the core recommendations that they make is improving findability of content. So when you type in a search term, that's like, how do I do this? How do I do that? You should be able to find as much relevant content as quickly as possible. So they're breaking down, in fact, whether you find a course, a module, a task, uh -huh. a combination of all of those things. And that's what they're talking about in terms of meeting customers where they are is really making self-service more seamless so that you don't necessarily need to pick up the phone or write an email. You can actually do more through web self-service. And so you see, actually, if you look at the results, and again, we're not going to spoil the entire report here, but uh, we'll suggest that web self-service is picking up steam and mm -hmm. people are starting to make more investments in their abilities for customers to contact them. In fact, I'll tell you a quick anecdote from Personio right now. Personio has been going through uh, several what we call customer journey circles. And so Ooh. we have our customer journey mapped into several key motions and, and phases that are essentially clustered by where the customer is in their journey. So if, for example, you might have an adoption cluster you might have a service cluster. And in the service cluster, we're really looking at what are all the experiences related to when a customer is trying to get some sort of service and how can we make it easier and more effective for them to get that service, especially if it's self-service when they want to yeah. have it. And then if self-service isn't going to do the trick, how do we make it easier for them to then get a personalized response from another human? We're trying to optimize the customer journey and meet them where they are. So that's actually why we've been working on several initiatives uh, over the past few months to actually make self-service dramatically easier. And in fact, to work on this exact thing about findability, because we have a ton of resources, but we need to centralize our customer's ability mm -hmm. to find them 
Uh, we need to give them the right cues to be able to find it when they're looking for it, whether it's in our on-site search, whether it's typing it into Google, uh, et cetera, et cetera, whether it's finding it directly in the product. That's another big one. So this report is also pointing to more companies starting to make investments like this in their digital experience and the way that they're they're measuring it or should be measuring it, I think, is was the customer actually able to do what they intended to do? So they're calling that success. Mm -hmm. Was it easy to do what they were trying to do? So that's effort. And you usually measure the customer effort score. If you read The Effortless Experience, mm -hmm. that's a really good book. Then emotion, did the customer come away feeling good? So this is a way to keep a pulse on whether you're offering a strong digital experience or not by measuring success, effort, and emotion. So I, I really liked that recommendation. That's wonderful. Something else I, I had noted in my notes was going back to content. Now, like as you're talking, I was thinking about Optiverse, the things that you had done there, and we talked about in the show before, where you're mapping out, you know, what's the findability index? <laughs> Did I, is it yes. is it useful? Yeah. Did I find it? You can look at other content that we have about that. And I liked one other statement in here, and I thought I'd bring it out, is don't get caught in the trap of believing that if you just provide digital content, your job is done. To be resonant mm -hmm. with what you were just talking about, I think this brings it back. This digital experience is really important that you're not just going, blah, here's a bunch of stuff I've spotted out and here's it, just good luck. Have I've, a good time. I've created the world's most well-designed educational program rooted in evidence-based learning principles and therefore it is perfect and I don't know why not a single customer has found it and I will not be taking any further questions. Yep, that's a fair attitude to take because it's easy to get into that way. We kind of get into it, right? Like we get into this trap where we think about our content first and we get really precious about our architecture, but we don't think about distribution and we don't think about findability. So this report is is definitely underlining the importance of, of findability. It also gets into some interesting territory, which honestly, I don't know how to feel about LXPs, learning experience platforms, mm -hmm. and the ability for customers to truly personalize their own experience and curate their own content and submit user-generated content yeah, this is it's an interesting world where, you know, we're seeing strong LXP adoption among internal learning programs, but I don't know that I'm truly seeing that take hold in customer education programs. And what I think the TSI report is getting at is the more personalized the learning experience feels to the learner, the more likely they're going to be to engage with it. And then you'll have uptake on your learning. But I'm not quite sure if LXPs are are the solution to this. And, and this is maybe a preview of another report that we're going to look at when we talk about the idea of kind of like bottoms up content curation and personalization. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about our manifesto. And when I talk about personalization. I'm always thinking I, about our manifesto. <laughs> in a good way, a good manifesto. Don't FBI, don't give me any trouble. You got enough problems. Number five, number six. I think what underlies for me personalization, like you could talk about all this other stuff and get an LXP that helps you to like, how do I deliver this crafted? Like, okay, forget all that. It really comes down to two things. I, Dave Darrington, wants an experience that I actually want to look at. It's a good video. It's, it's funny. Maybe it, or it's short. It's concise. It gets to the point. It's not like 15 minutes of, hey, everybody, I'm Dave Darrington, and I'm going to talk to you, but I don't need all that crap. I need mm -hmm. you to get mm -hmm. to the point. And I want it to be something that I would look at and actually watch, not a boring click, click, click slideshow. Second is you've provided me content in the moment that I need it, and I found it. 
So if you could think about going back to the comments you made about making this really well-architected plan and you've done all those things and you don't know why people are finding it, well, it's probably because you didn't think about the other side of that, which is personalization to me means less about making this craft that branches infinitely. Let's go to video game design. In video game design, we know the fallacy of that combinatorial explosion. You cannot do it. it. An open sandbox world is freaking impossible. Sometimes you have to bring people back to the path, but some but people are going to find the things they need and they're going to work on those. So if you clear the clutter and you really focus on great content structured in by like, what is it? What's the job I have to be doing? What's the outcome mm -hmm. I need to get? Mm -hmm. Those are the things that I need and I need less a uh, Oh, Adam, I want you to go through this three-hour 101 that's going to actually get you to that point. Yeah, so that is a, a really, I think, smart way to start with the idea of curation and, and content relevance. And the report kind of comes to this as well. So when they're talking about how to drive more value, mm -hmm. and specifically they're talking here about common adoption metrics, like time to first value, because I believe, if I'm remembering this correctly, oh, yeah. in last year's report, there was a really long, like, I don't remember if it was an aside or if it was actually just the, 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 th the thesis of the report was that all of these programs were saying that adoption was the most important thing that their businesses were asking them to measure. And then none of them knew how to actually measure their impact on adoption. So there was this huge disconnect that the report was flagging. And again, I don't remember if it was last year's report or if it was a previous year's, you know, who even knows what time is. But here, they're actually providing some interesting recommendations, which I quite like about how education services can start to tie themselves more to value and specifically to customer adoption. And so one of the things that they are talking about is the idea of partnering with your professional services team mm. to customize the learning and make it more relevant to both the configuration of the software that the customer is actually using like with all the integrations set up and, and things like that. So for example, like my team at Slack, we were an education services team. And when we delivered custom training to enterprise clients, we actually spent a lot of time focusing on how their environments were actually going to be set up. What bots and apps mm -hmm. were they actually going to be using? How could we provide them some contextual training, not just on what Slack is, but on how Slack is going to be used for them? So this is one of the recommendations that the TSI report is making is work hand in hand with your professional services organization so that the education represents the actual configuration of the product. But they're also saying, make sure that the education reflects the actual job to be done of the audiences who are going to be receiving the training. And yeah. then you're going to have a higher impact on adoption. Uh, so I thought that was a really nice. Um, a good point. Like, yeah, they're talking about like, like having use cases by vertical and use cases by job to be done. So it's not one size fits all. And I really liked those recommendations. They also uh, talked about uh, time. That was another good one. Do you remember the one about uh, actually delivering the training close to when customers are actually going to be using it, not like six months in advance? And the immediate response when you read that is, well, duh, but... Yeah, I, but people I do it anyway, right? But yeah, we do it because it's a box. But we train them. Why aren't they using the product? Well, we did training. Well, that was six months ago. And remember the forgetting curve. Nobody knows anything anymore. They forgot all that because they didn't use it. They haven't logged in. They haven't done anything. They have onboarding is really super important to deliver. I guess one of the things that I've always been chasing, Adam, is that how do I automate that moment of delivery and time for everybody uniquely? And it's something at Outreach I really loved is that we actually crafted a... We called it express on demand 
course for administrators who were configuring like you were just talking about. And this was all on demand. And you could have somebody to help hold your hand through that if you had questions and you had touch points. But we found that customers, once they saw that and had everything really listed out as in a in a very good way, they didn't need us anymore. And they were able to self-implement. And it was all on yeah, demand. Super cool. And the money and, and time we saved was absurd. Well, and I, and I think we're going to see more of this, especially for people with less complex implementations. We'll start to see more self-serve on-demand implementations, largely facilitated through technologies like digital adoption platforms and the like, right? Because the more we can actually make your onboarding steps contextual and give you power over how to set things up at the account level and then at the user level, well, now we're now we're making things more relevant and, and timely for you as the end user. So I think we'll continue to see a trend towards usage of not just of those platforms, but in general of more like self-serve implementation and onboarding processes. Yeah, absolutely love it. I mean, that's the trend across the the board is self-service on demand. You see it everywhere. People migrating away from traditional training type stuff because we simply, we've proven we can do it virtual. We've proven we don't have to have people in a seat. We've saved so much money. COVID has helped a lot, but now we have the recession looming pressures. It's all pointing us the same way. Yeah, I agree. This episode is brought to you by WorkRamp. WorkRamp turns customer education into a growth engine for your business by delivering delightful learning experiences that increase product adoption and customer retention. Those are crucial, crucial metrics. WorkRamp's all-in-one learning platform is trusted by top education teams at Outreach, Reddit, Workiva, and more. So get your demo today at WorkRamp.com. And so... Maybe just to to wrap things up, uh, at least on my end, Dave, I don't know if you had other takeaways you wanted to highlight. The only other one I wanted to highlight was I love how they gave a name to something that we always talk about. Oh, yeah. Because uh, you know how we, yeah. And this is sort of back on the forgetting curve point. We always talk about the fact that you write your like 101 course and you stuff all of the content mm-hmm. about all features of the product in there. And then you're like, oh, it's time to write my advanced course, but I have no content to put in there. And also customers aren't taking the full 101 course. What do I put in the advanced course? Well, what you put in the advanced course is all the stuff you need to take out of your 101 course because the 101 course is is overloaded. (laughs) Uh, And Dave, do you remember what they call it in this report? I do not. What was it? They call it 10 pounds in a five pound bag. Oh, I remember that phrase. That was fun. 10 pounds. I got to say it. You got 10 pounds in a five pound bag. (laughs) <laughs> yeah 10 pounds in a five pound bet yeah oh, thank you so uh, thank you maria and tsia for that that's really <laughs> we're definitely going to be using that in the future so that's at least the note that i want to end on but dave i don't know if you have any other takeaways from this report we can go on forever but i think we've hit the core of them you know the personalization the digital experience the driving value realization that i think the education services universe in this, I'm going to turn it in a positive way. I think the education universe services universe is really starting, not just started, they have actually understood where customer education premises are coming from, that this is, is unavoidable, that we're going to have to make fundamental changes in how we do revenue, what our goals are, and how we deliver education. And it has to be at scale with growth-minded because we're not on-prem anymore. It's true. Well, and some people still are, but increasingly those companies are are making the switch as well. So if we accept this as the inevitable reality, whether it's sooner or later, then the more we know how to continue to be 
useful to our businesses and continue to facilitate revenue or margin, or hopefully both, then we're going to still stay strategic and relevant to our businesses. So that just becomes more important in this new economic environment. You know, and I would say just in closing, one closing thought, I have seen the emergence of some more newer platforms in education platforms that actually are allowing you to sandbox and present on-prem software in a virtualized environment to train against. Yes. Yes. So, they're like virtual lab platforms. Arasi right? Labs is one vendor I've worked with recently. It does an exceptional job at this. There is, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the name of it. There's Does another company. Share do this? Yeah, I think so. Um, Skillable. But there's, yeah, there's lots of these platforms that are saying, okay, well, we can simulate on-premise ver- uh, software with a virtualized application and allow you to learn about it. And that yeah, helps our like, space quite a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And and you see, instruct, you see especially for I-N-S-T-R-U-T. Instruct, yes, with instruct. a Q. Instruct with a Q. Yep. Yeah. And there with a whole suite of like virtual lab platforms or live labs, you're able to deliver more of what you would have uh, delivered in in that lab environment, but uh, do it at scale and online. So Dave, if you want 10 pounds of customer education information in a five pound bag, what URL would you use for that bag? Well, I would go to customer.education. You know it, you love it, you bookmark it, get out there. And if you found value in our podcast, we have all kinds of stuff there. We have show notes, we have transcripts and more to come. So share with others, your friends, your peers over beers and help us find the others. We still use our Twitters. I'm at Dave Darrington. I'm out there on Instagram and stuff too now. Where are you at, Adam? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn mostly these days, and we also have a C-Lab LinkedIn that you can subscribe to. We generally post updates and questions there, so that's a fun one. That's great. And thanks to Alan Coda. Hey, making great, awesome music transitions and more for us. You're great. We know that many of you are also subscribed right now, but what we really want for all of you in the audience to do is get out there right now on your platform of choice. Give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, anywhere. Show us your appreciation. Spotify has reviews now, I think. Mm-hmm and more. So please, please, please do it. And thank you for joining us. Go out and educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening.